Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. On December 8th, 2021, I published an article on Tor.com called Beyond Dune and Foundation, Golden Age and New Wave Classics that should be turned into movies right now. It has 72 comments, and if I'm being honest, it's the thing that I've written that's probably been read more widely than anything else I've ever written. More so than my award-nominated cli-fi novel, Ring of Fire, or my Clash book science fiction novel, Goddamn Killing Machines. But you know what? They're out there. You can get them. Anyways, a year has passed, and I wanted to make a podcast in a video that for on the subject, since I know some people just won't sit down and read a whole article. So anyways, here it is. We are going to do going to focus on so-called golden age of science fiction. This is the era from the late 30s to the mid 60s. And some of these works were written outside of that time frame, but there are authors that are known for being golden age authors. So there's no Philip K. Dick. There's no John Bruner or Norman Spinrad, who I consider them to be new wave writers. And although some of their works did appear during this era, during the golden age, especially the really awesome early Philip K. Dick uh, and John Bruner stuff, we'll, we'll t- I'll talk about them in another video. But anyways, before we start, a little bit about me. I'm David Agronoff. I'm a science fiction and horror author who loves and studies the history of genre uh, for my blog and my two podcasts. That's this one, the Dickheads podcast, which is devoted to the study of Philip K. Dick. So I have a blog that has the same title, Postcards from a Dying World, and I have over a thousand, well, probably a thousand and a half book reviews up there. I've been doing it for about 12 years, reviewing everything that I read. But there are classic works of science fiction that I think in the right hands could make excellent films. And this is what we're going to be talking about. Now, I'm a screenwriter myself, so of course, I would love to adapt any or all of these works into films. So Hollywood, if you're out there, you know, uh, you know, hit me up. But anyways, this is 10 golden age science fiction works that I think should be films uh, now. Starting with number 10, The Sirens of Titan by Kurt Vonnegut. Sirens of Titan. It's uh, Kurt Vonnegut. So the pitch, this early Kurt Vonnegut is pure science fiction. Uh, part-time spanning, tongue-in-cheek, like Douglas Adams style or Robert Sheckley type science fiction. I'm due to reread it myself. I read it a long time ago. The plot is almost too confusing to get into here, but it involves time travel, interplanetary war, and kind of everything you need. And science fiction is overdue for a very funny, weird masterpiece. We could always use some more attention on Kurt Vonnegut. There's a really excellent documentary on Hulu, by the way, uh, Kurt Vonnegut Unstuck in Time. That's, you know, let's build off that. Sirens of Titan. It could be an art house movie, but the effects don't even have to be very expensive or look great because kind of a retro, kind of loose, like cheesy sci-fi look would actually work for this piece. Uh, Jerry Garcia used to own the rights and, you know, maybe John Mayer would want to buy it. 
and produce it. I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of kidding. He's just doing whatever Derek Garcia used to do. Right. So let's give it to a comedy director and see what happens next. Number nine, the earth abides by George Stewart. Now this one is, uh, from 19, I think 60 or 59. I don't know. I could be wrong on the year, but the earth abides by George Stewart. This is, an eco-apocalypse novel is very popular about surviving a plague. It's an apocalypse road novel that's very heavy on ideas. Cast with the right actor, it could be done with a relatively low budget. The novel is about nature reclaiming the earth and how small we are. It's, you know, very popular. Uh, and I think with, like I said, with the right actor, you could really do amazing things with The Earth Bites. Number eight. The Star's My Destination by Alfred Bester. Now, this one, in my original article on Tor.com, I pitched The Demolished Man as a film by boss-level director Joe Carnahan. And I got savaged in the comments for choosing The Demolished Man over The Star's My Destination. Now, look, they both make excellent films. But I hadn't read The Star's My Destination yet. But I fixed that. And since I wrote that article, I wrote, I read The Stars of My Destination. And everybody's right. It should be The Stars of My Destination. There should be a movie first. If we're only going to make one bester, this his second sci-fi classic is, is the one that we're going to want to make. And, uh, you know, I agree. That, that's the one to do it. Now, we did a whole Dickheads episode with D. Harlan Wilson, who just wrote a book on, on The Stars of My Destination and a companion to it. Uh, so, so you can go listen to that whole episode on Dickheads on the Dickheads podcast feed. And look, D. Harlan Wilson and I are both writers, so we'd be excellent people to adapt it. Now, it almost was a movie, very close with Paul S. Anderson, the guy who did um, Event Horizon. Right after he did Event Horizon and Soldier, uh, the, the movie he tried to get made next was The Stars My Destination. It didn't end up happening. He made a bazillion Resident Evil movies. But, you know, I would love to see like the visual insanity of like a Guillermo del Toro with th this great uh, property. It was also uh, a sci-fi masterworks edition. That's the one I read. Uh, I think it's great. Um, yeah. Uh, hire Professor Wilson and I to uh, to adapt this one. We'll, we'll kick butt on it. Uh, I really do believe so. All right. So number seven, uh, The Dying Earth by Jack Vance. This uh, is basically a series of stories collected into a fix-up novel called the, uh, and you, the most recent edition is the Tales from the Dying Earth. But here's my pitch. Uh, in the original um, article, I, I did talk about the Dying Earth, and this is a fantasy series, but it's one that features, um, you know, battles between warriors with winged creatures, dragons, wizards, swordplay, in a far future it takes place in the far future so it's still science fiction and it's one that the new wave authors all grew up reading uh there's a reason why many of the old school fans point to this 1950s series when they saw the flying creatures and james cameron's avatar because i think a lot of us were all thinking about um the dying earth books uh at that point you know they have the epic scope of like a tolkien or like a george R. R. martin but without like the bloat like these are very thin stories and they're very well told um and and they're very fat they're very quick and they're just excellently written it's been a long time since i read them but they're really good 
Uh, somebody like Peacock who wants or needs to get in, get their own kind of like Lord of the Rings type franchise, but not as expensive could get a highly literate showrunner, somebody like a Brandon Braga who actually, you know, reads books and um, and put a couple of novelists that grew up on Vance in the writer's room with more experienced TV writers. Well, you know, John Shirley has a lot of experience writing TV and he grew up on these books and has re recently written a series that's very Dine Earth influence. So I would put John Shirley and Laird Barron in in the room to help adapt these. And then it gives you your own game of the rings of a time of dragon type show uh, for uh, a, for somebody like Peacock or Hulu or, or Apple TV, somebody like that. And I know they've all like tried, but, you know, here's here's one uh, with existing IP. Number six. Eric John Stark, Outlaw of Mars by Lee Brackett. You might be familiar with that name, but we'll get to that in a second. So here's the pitch. The Expanse and Firefly meet Flash Gordon from the woman who wrote The Empire Strikes Back. That's how you pitch it. Eric John Stark was born on Mercury in a time when dinosaurs roamed the Earth. The solar system is populated by warring factions of spacefaring Martians. Brackett's high adventure novels were often called planetary romances, but they're pure sugary sweet soap operas or not soap operas, excuse me, space operas. Uh, and the secret uh, uh could appeal to sci-fi fans looking for something that is Western ish like Firefly with healthy doses of sword wielding dinosaurs or sword wielding action that the dinosaurs don't carry swords, but you know, Dinosaurs, spaceships, swordplay. Come on, dude. Sign me up. So, and, you know, the like, seriously, George Lucas hired this woman to write Empire Strikes Back for a reason. I mean, her stuff's awesome. So I would do a TV series format. Um, you know, Lee Brackett intended for the hero to be black, despite what the cover artists did making him white. Uh, I would fix that. And I would hire uh, African-American space opera author Maurice Broaddus. One of my favorite reads of the year, A Sweep of Stars by Maurice. Uh, great stuff. He could turn it into a pure pulp joy. Um, and speaking of trailblazing uh, women who wrote science fiction um, in the golden age, how about one of Lee Brackett's best friends for the next one? Number five is Jarrell of Jory by C.L. Moore. Now, we just did an episode of the 1930s podcast series, uh, our science fiction series with Cora Bullard and Greg Cox on C.L. Moore. So if you want more information on that, I highly say I highly recommend you go back and listen to that episode or watch the video. Anyways, the pitch. Uh, Jarrell of Jory is the female Conan. Uh, blazing a trail through rich fantasy world that was created in the 30s and 40s by a woman who was herself a pioneer in the science fiction field. Catherine Lucille Moore uh, is the author of Jarrell of Jory. So it was a woman actually writing these stories, um, these like classic sword play stories. These stories first appeared in the pages of Weird Tales, uh, where Robert E. Howard and H.P. Lovecraft have been cutting their professional teeth for several years. But two decades before Tolkien would change the fantasy world forever with The Lord of the Rings, 
Uh, CL Moore was doing it here and Jarrell of Jory. In the wake of the record amount that the Amazon Studios spent on the Rings of Power, and I, personally, I'm, I'm, I actually like the Rings of Power. I think it's pretty good. I'm not a huge fan, but it's great. Uh, but anyways, if you wanted something like that, why not adapt a female-centric uh, sword hero in Jarrell of Jory uh, by CL Moore? Um, I mean, it's right there. This, this, it's better than Red Sonia because it was actually written by a woman and it has like a woman's touch to many of the things. And if you put a woman like behind the camera and adapting and all that, then, you know, you'd really be honoring uh, CL Moore who, uh, you know, also wrote television and did all that. Anyways, this is the one on this list that I wouldn't step forward to want to write myself because um, I think a woman should do it. Uh, this character deserves a 10 pole movie. And since you're, I mean, just look at the character, right? So you know who the first choice is to play this role is Jessica Chastain. Now, I, I said I didn't want to write it, but I would executive produce it. I would help uh, put together the team. So Jessica Chastain, if you're out there, let's get together for brunch at Real Food Daily and talk it over. I'm sure there's a deal we could be made or that could be made. And I think a good person to direct this would be uh, the Woman King and Old Guard director, Gina Bryce, or, or Prince Brythewood. Um, she's shown the ability to balance the action and character and all that. And if you've ever read these stories, you know that um, it, it's right there. Like all the character work is really awesome. So yeah, Jarrell Jory, uh, number five. Okay, so number four, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to do a tie for two works by one author. Mostly, I'm going to talk about number four, Cemetery World by Clifford D. Samak. So the pitch is a dark and haunting science fiction uh, novel that could be obviously a film that could be done on a relatively inexpensive budget. Yeah, but filled with very grand ideas. Now, uh, Cemetery World uh, takes place 10,000 years after the ancestral home of the human species has been left lifeless. That's right, Earth is lifeless. Um, and it has become the final resting place for the human diasporas. Basically, like the rich and elite get to be buried on Earth. That's kind of like the concept of, of Cemetery World. I know it's been a long time since I read it, but that that's my memory of it and um all that might change when a group of colonists uh want to take back humanity's home this novel was written by clifford d samak who got fan letters from a young teenage isaac asimov i saw how long he's been doing it and before uh the batman was like a huge success matt reeves the director was talking about adapting uh the clifford's clifford's max hugo award-winning novel Waystation for a movie for Netflix uh, that didn't end up happening. Uh, that happens a lot in Hollywood. But um, the thing about Waystation is um, I did two podcasts on that one for the Dickheads podcast. And then I was on with Seth Heasley uh, at Hugo's there. Shout out to Seth. Um, so there's two podcasts that you can listen to about Waystation, which there's a show on Amazon called Night Sky that looks a lot like Waystation, but that's neither here nor there. Um, anyways, um, this is the one that I think would make the best, most like kind of commercially viable movie. But if, if you ask me, like, if you had 
like a bazillion dollars and you said, David, you can make any Clifford Smack uh, novel into a movie. I'm going to take his classic City, which I think is one of the greatest science fiction novels ever written. Um, and I turned that into a Wolf Walker style animation movie. Like, man, I would love to see that. But it's a really far fetched story about, you know, basically robots and dogs sitting around a campfire talking about the mythological long lost human race. It's a weird one, but my God, it's brilliant and it's genius. And so, it, so even if like a, a movie of that seems far fetched, would never happen. You can go out and read City. It's um, written over the 40s and 50s, and it is one of the uh, uh, most poignant science fiction novels I ever read. So I highly recommend City. Um, and I would love to see a movie of it. I just, I'm not sure that that's as um, guaranteed of a hit as Cemetery World. But see, Cemetery World, what I would do is for like a streamer, like a kind of mid-budget with and i would hire brad anderson who directed the machinist and session nine uh and i know he hasn't done science fiction but uh, i think he would be awesome at that i love uh trans-siberian uh like he's just one of my favorite directors i think he's very underrated uh vanishing on seventh street i i he's great i love brad anderson so brad give me a call let's do this let's do cemetery world so for number three um uh, Babel 17 or Babel 17 by Samuel R. Delaney. Uh, this is a space opera um, version of Arrival is like the first like real like simple uh, pitch for this one. And the thing about Babel 17 is um, that it's uh, it takes place in the middle of an interstellar war. So it has a lot of really good kind of space opera elements but it's like way smarter than, than than you would think uh from just calling it a space opera it's like one of the best so Ryda wong is a linguist and telepath and starship captain sent on a, a really important mission to locate a spy and the enemy has developed a new weapon and it is a uh weapon that spreads through language and uh it spreads like a virus and it changes your perceptions and motivations this is a really really cleverly weird sci-fi action thing and so if you say like a, a, a action adventure version of arrival i think that is a killer pitch that should immediately like get people's attention but the story has real special meaning in this era where social media and the entire political movements run on misinformation so it's funny because it was written in like the late 50s early 60s but Babel 17 has even more meaning in like this era where the internet spreads disinformation like really, really quick. So it's more poignant than ever. Okay, this is a short novel that could be a great movie in the right hands, but it would be a very delicate adaptation. Um, and personally, the person I would hire for the job is Duncan Jones, um, who is the director of Moon and the very underrated Mute. I'm like one of the big fans of Mute um his netflix movie from a couple of years ago and i think duncan jones could just really do an amazing babel 17 and um yeah here check out uh i wasn't i forgot to show you some of the other covers this is the original cover it's really cool think galactic or your world is lost and that's kind of a i think that that's like a 70s cover for it anyways um I'm a big fan of this novel. It's been a long time since I've read it, but uh, I think it would make a killer uh, 
a movie in the right hands and uh, written by um, a black gay author, one of the first like out um, science fiction authors uh, in, in the community. So um, that's uh, something for representation and diversity anyways. So yeah, Babel 17. So number two, now we're really getting into the ones that I really, really would love to see. Um, and even though it's number two, I think number one might make more sense, but number two is the one that I probably like really want to do. And that is, of course, so yeah, number two is A Canicle for Leibowitz by Walter M. Miller Jr. And this is a beloved post-apocalyptic tale that takes place over a dozen centuries and does so while delivering a powerful message about the nature of humanity and civilization. Yeah, big, it, it's very powerful stuff. And it's broken up into three acts that take place hundreds of years apart. And while it's been universally praised and it's been in print since 1960 when it came out, like it's seriously always been in print. That is a feat, okay? That makes it really recognizable IP that is beloved by lots of people. I mean, it's taught in schools. It's, it's very important, a very important book. But because it's set over hundreds of years and is, you know, has three really separate parts, a lot of people have considered Canical for Leibowitz to be unfilmable. Nonsense, I say. Uh, because I think what you could do is make it into three separate, like 30 to 40 minute films covering each of the parts. And I think that's possible. And, um, what you would really want to do is do each story kind of in its own style. I think you need to be creative here. And this should be like an art house movie, like a 2001 or an interstellar type is what you're looking for. And since the parts are so wildly different, get three different filmmakers, like, Imagine if part one was directed by Guillermo del Toro and part two by, let's say, Catherine Bigelow. And I'm just throwing out names here like I did in the tour article. And maybe part three is like a Christopher Nolan, but it doesn't have to be like those big name filmmakers. It can be young, hungry filmmakers. Um, <clears throat> any of the three that uh, any of the filmmakers that I've mentioned before, any combination um, you could do. And you could make um, a canicle for Leibowitz. And like I say, this is a very popular book, but it's a very important book. It has, you know, very deep meaning. And so, and canicle for Leibowitz, like when I say it's been, you know, it's a sci-fi masterwork and, uh, you know, I and mean, this is how, how long it, it's been around and it's been doing its thing. And like here it says, in the tradition of Brave New World in 1984, that, that's the type of, um uh elevated science fiction we're talking about now we have done we did do an episode of the dickheads podcast with librarian sir brew dog um ian duncanson and brian evanson who is the award-winning amazing author and recently the show editor of friend of the family on peacock um you know so hey look hey Brian Evanson's out there. He's a he's a guy you could hire to do it. But like I said, I like I'm ready to do this. So yeah. So uh, come on, Hollywood, give me a call. Let's uh, let, let's let's make a canicle for Leibowitz. Let's make the movie that everyone said could not be made because I believe it can be done. Okay, you ready? Number one, the the one that I think would make the most uh, no brainer. Uh, adaptation on here and it's not necessarily my favorite like I for example number two Canicle for Leibowitz number three Babel 17 I think might make 
better movies, but I think this is the no the the no brainer one, and um, that is number one, Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov, um, aka the Robot Mysteries. Because I'm not just thinking about this one book; it's the first of a series of novels that uh, there's four eventually. Uh, anyways, let's get into the pitch. The expanded Asimov universe on Apple TV. This one is obvious, and uh, it seems that David Goyer and Josh Friedman uh, over at Foundation were already thinking along these lines um, as it, they hint to these books exist because they exist in the same Foundation universe. Foundation is um, full storylines that takes place very far in the future, and these books, the robot series, take place in a closer timeline, um, but in the same universe, but closer to us. But here's the reason why I think it's a no-brainer. Like, I personally really liked the Foundation series and thought it was great, but it's a little esoteric and a little weird. And, um, like, it's kind of a stretch to get the average person into, like, such a weird science fiction series that's taking such a huge swing. So here's what's really smart about doing Caves of Steel, because... Caves of Steel are robot detective mysteries, all right? And they follow the robot-hating detective, Elijah Bailey, who has to solve a series of murders with his robot partner, R, that stands for robot, R. Daniel Oliva. Now, each season takes a different look at um, a different mystery on a different world, and these were the most commercial of Asimov's book. Now, of his books. Now, Caves of Steel was adapted into an episode of Story Parade starring Peter Cushing in 1964. So it's been done once, but come on, it really hasn't been done. But here's why I think doing Caves of Steel and, um, you know, so the uh, second book is Naked Sun, which, by the way, is, is basically about um, social distancing and lockdown. But um, Caves of Steel is a real environmental story. And then now, Robots of Dawn, which is the third book in this, this series, was a massive hit. Three months on the best New York Times bestseller list in the 80s. It's a very beloved novel. So, But here's why I think it's so smart to tie this into the Foundation series, is because this is a much more commercial project. It's very easy to get into. It's a murder mystery. It's science fiction. It's much more... Uh, mainstream and and commercially viable but if you make it and you connect it to the foundation series then it gives people more of a reason for a completionist to get into foundation and there's ways that you can do that by connecting the stories in little subtle subtle ways by just like having the universe connect together and really the completionists will just you know jump into foundation because they're like hey it's in it's in the same series so you could do it concurrently while you continue to make foundation and i'd give it to a lot of the same team that we're doing foundation um i think goyer and friedman are doing a great job but this would be a much easier production because it's like less of a weird story but if they kind of like connected and oversaw it but like got a new crew but then again i would hand the directing duties for the pilot to roxanne dawson who most people know as playing Balana Torres on Star Trek Voyager. But if you've been paying attention to what she's been directing, she's directed a lot of TV recently and a few films, and she's a great underrated director. And I think her episodes of Foundation are really, really, really good. 
Um, I'm not sure why she isn't directing Star Trek. Uh, she has the experience, but whatever. Anyways, I would give Roxanne Dawson the keys to doing the pilot for a Caves of Steel uh, robot murder mysteries uh, series. And, and and really, I would give Dawson, I would hire her to direct almost any of the, any of these that we talked about. The Jarell Jury would be great with her. Seriously, she could do pretty much, I mean, everything except for Canical for Leibowitz, which I'd give her one of the parts, but I want three three directors. But um, Roxanne Dawson, you're awesome. It's great. I'd hire you for this. Kapla. Um, and, you know, let's see uh, um, uh, uh, an expanded Asmoth universe. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Let's do a couple honorable mentions. Now, I didn't mention Arthur C. Clarke because he's had plenty of movies. And frankly, um, it's a novel that he wrote in the 80s that I'd most like to see of, of a movie is uh, Songs of a Distant Earth, which is uh, my favorite Arthur C. Clarke uh, book. Now, again, I mentioned this at the beginning, but if you're wondering why Robert Sheckley or Philip K. Dick or John Bruner or any of these folks aren't here, it's because they, I think of them as new wave writers and we're going to do a whole nother video on new wave writers. Uh, I don't know, maybe next week. Uh, but the thing is, I know this video will live out there forever. So uh, this is just my personal list. This is, this is what I, I would do. So there's no right or wrong. I know you're going to sit, you're going to go to the comments and you're going to tell me what I missed and that's fine. Uh, but while, while you're there, uh, kind of like and subscribe to the, to the channel, to the page and follow my content because I, I cover modern science fiction and horror as well uh, on this blog. And there's lots of interviews with new authors and there's stuff that you can find there. But don't forget to subscribe to Dickheads, um, the Dickheads podcast on the Dickheads YouTube page as well. Or on the podcast, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts as PKD Heads for reasons that you'd have to ask Apple but anyways, uh, but if you want more sci-fi history and that kind of thing, like we talk about it all there. Um, but if you want to support my work, I don't have a Patreon, but what you can do is go and buy one of my books because that means a lot to me. And there's links in the show notes for all the books. Now, I have two books coming out soon and probably about, I know most people watching this video are going to be after those books are out. Um, so I'm going to mention them here, but as of recording, these books are not out. Uh, Nightmare City that was written with my Dickheads co-host, Anthony Trevino. And Nightmare City, we were kind of going for The Wire if Clive Barker and Philip K. Dick were on the writing staff. It's kind of the vibe we were going for. It's a horror, sci-fi, um, crime thing about systematic racism and climate change and all kinds of stuff. And so that's Nightmare City out from Grand Mall Press um in late 2022 and 2023 i have a horror novel from clash books coming out called uh, about the that takes place on the last day of world war ii called the last night to kill nazis um check that one out and my next video will be on classic horror fiction that i would like to see as movies i'm going to do that one and then i'm going to come back to uh the new wave but uh like and subscribe and follow and please help me share these videos. So if you like my takes, uh, share the videos and we'll see you again in the future. Thanks for liking and subscribing and follow the Dickheads podcast too. All right, thanks.